Yvette Mayer and hello to the listeners of Fire and Forte. I mean, hello Yvette first. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. And you're being extremely Australian today and where are you dialing in from? I am coming to you hot from Byron Bay. Are you walking around in your bare feet? A little, yeah. This morning I jumped into the ocean, so whilst... It was a bit chilly. It was very refreshing. So I want to introduce you and well, I'll tell, I'll explain what I know about you and then I'm really looking Uh forward to hearing the the full story. So um, Yvette Mayer has got an incredible story that um, spans uh, uh, 20 odd years in a really stellar media career, um, spanning from um, media agencies where she was in media buying roles all the way through to what sounds like a fantastic stint um, as an exec VP in New York for Starcom. Yeah. So, you know, you certainly seem to have climbed that corporate ladder. So really rich experience, amazing career, spanning different countries, a lot of different clients, a lot of different industries. Um, and also from what I can tell from everything that I've read, an awful lot of travel um, and some really big, <laughs> some really big accounts. And I'm pretty sure you weren't walking in in your bare feet to some of these um, business meetings that you used to go into True in the media days. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You never know. And then um, a health scare, I believe, really changed the the path of Yvette's life. And the Yvette that we're talking to today has made a 360 degree change in her life. I know when a colleague of mine told me about Yvette's story and said this lady was at the top of her career, had a health more than a health scare and flipped her life and her career. Uh, I just really wanted to um, speak to someone that had been through that and had dared to make such a big change as well. So thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. Oh, absolutely. And Sarah, I appreciate and am grateful for connecting us. I know this is going to be an incredible chat. I will say this, sharing your own story is one of the easiest things you'll ever do in terms of it just flows and, you know, your lived experience can be so beneficial for others. Through the lens of, of storytelling, it, it's very powerful. And, you know, when you're living it, it just feels like, what am I dealing with today versus something that is more helicopter view, quite tumultuous. So, look, I am a very open book and I am looking forward to sharing with you my lessons my experiences and and yeah absolutely how I've completely flipped my life it's so fantastic I don't know where to start but I think (laughs) I'm going to start with the media career because it spans like uh, like I said so many different um so so, there's so many elements to it so um Mm -hmm. can you talk us through kind of your media career yeah absolutely so I Fun fact, did work experience in an advertising agency when I was 15. And uh, I I did that work experience. A a family friend was a CEO of a big ad agency. And I, at the time, was like, what he does for work? Well, I want to learn about that because he seems to have a lot of money and a lot of fun. And that led me into, hello, can I do work experience at George Patterson Bates, which, you know, is no longer called that, but back then was the biggest agency in town. And it was a very swift love affair. There was indeed a lot of fun to be had during my week of work experience. And 
I went back to school determined that my career would go in that direction. Um, but it was a long time ago. I'm, I don't want to go jumping down into how old I am today, but it was a long time ago. There wasn't such a thing as a degree in advertising. And so I decided that I would drop out of high school to get my way onto the corporate ladder at the very beginning, at the bottom, and make my way up into a more senior career at some point. And I think nobody around me trusted that that was what was going on. You know, I was the typical very rebellious teenager, had a boyfriend from the wrong side of the tracks and for all their, you know, all their understanding of what I was up to was basically dropping out of school. But didn't I show them? <laughs> because age 17, I found my way into what was a media agency. I didn't really know the difference between an advertising agency and a media agency. But anyway, um, that that was a defining moment that I took a role as an assistant, like entry-level role. And I haven't, I, I really didn't look back after that. I got in there and worked my little, little back then, but off. And by the time I was 23, kind of at the time when my friends were coming out of uni and, you know, maybe going traveling for a year and then finding jobs, I was running a team. I was literally the, the head of the client service field within the media agency I was in at that time. And so, you know, at 27, I had my first like, oh, my God, is this really what I want to be doing? I'd been doing that career for 10 years by then. And so I, I took off and went backpacking at that point because I, I really skipped some of the development phases of becoming an adult, if you like. I'd gone straight into full-on career mode. Uh, and I went off to London, did some backpacking, ended up working in another media agency over there. And I actually, I, I was feeling, I was questioning whether that, that I wanted to stay in the industry long-term at that point. Uh, but getting some temporary work in London actually helped me reconnect with the industry. And I realised at that point that I'd had a bad boss experience rather than it wasn't for me. Uh, so I came back from that trip in around 30 years of age and was very determined to take a role that didn't burn me out because I'd had that, ex that experience fairly recently. And so I, at that point, joined Starcom and the business at that time was more like a small uh, department within a creative agency. But over the time that I stayed with that network, which was 17 years in the end, uh, things changed enormously. And so I did what I did in the business. So I kind of came back in a, in a like head of department. Oh, no, not head of department. Head of client role. At, but then ultimately I was on the career train again, really ambitious and driven and, and that became head of the department. And then I did another defining moment, self-chosen, and put my hand up to move into running the digital team, which at the time it was in, I don't know, 2007. So the digital team was like two people and I was head of client service, which had like 30 people. And I remember my CEO just being like, are you sure that's that's what you want to do? And I'm like, uh-huh. 
very, very smart decision. Uh, <laughs> it was Absolutely. Like, there you go. Ahead of, the, ahead of the curve. We need to keep listening to you. Oh, and hear I, what's I next? was like, I love, I actually love all things tech. And I'm somebody who just, I don't know if it's change or transformation or newness, whatever it is. I, I knew at that point that I was quite fed up with the role of being head of client service, which really means that you're there to fight fires and they come from both clients as well as the team that's also fighting the fires. And so it, it, that's a really tough role, I will say this, in an agency to kind of be that point person for all the senior clients and lead a team of others who are kind of doing that at a more junior level. And I was like, I really want to be contributing more. I want to be thought leading. I love everything to do with tech and digital just feels like the next big thing. I'm going to just go that way. And I went all in and I think within a couple of years, I'd been promoted to chief digital officer for the agency in Australia. I was on the, the global exec leadership team for digital innovation. And so things were going really well. At the same time, I'm, I, I've remained single. And at that same time, I'm like taken on a huge mortgage, bought myself a convertible Audi and I was really living the life, partying a lot. The industry, you know, kind of it's evolved a little bit, but it comes with, you know, boozy lunches and lots of entertainment and all of that. But I I think there was a part of me that knew that whilst that all seemed very glamorous and fun, it wasn't the healthiest way of living to be so you know, in my career and also in that environment. And then at 39, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that that was the big slap in the face, like what the hell is going on? Are you actually happy? Do you love your work? Are you making a positive contribution? All of these questions came to me. And primarily because I think with any time that you're facing your own mortality, you get out of the what feels good in the moment and into what's my legacy? Like, what does my life really mean? And, and how do I create a positive, how do I be actually a more positive force in the world? And I really question how fulfilled I felt in that moment. Aside from that, I kept working through my treatment and I was, in many ways pressured to do that because the business felt that they couldn't backfill my role and we were at a critical time for digital transformation in the industry. So can you imagine, a, you know, you're in a competitive environment and all the agencies have got somebody leading digital innovation and transformation, which is a high-profile role and an expensive role, and then that person is suddenly out financially. They, they, they were like, we can't operate without you. And we don't really have a solution for what to do because it's not a necessarily client-funded role either. So, I mean, you know, this is all advertising industry speak, but suffice to say there was, there was some pressure on me to keep working. I think there was also, you may, you know, fire and, and forte, <laughs> a little bit of fire in me around if I 
am doing the work thing, then I'm less focused on myself. And that there was some something in that that was for me too. So yeah, that that's kind of the media career through to the breast cancer diagnosis. Wow. I mean, obviously the, the last part of that, I just, I wonder if it would still be that the same today that you'd still need to work because it seems unbelievable, doesn't it? And yet you almost wonder if you didn't know anything else, you know, faced with, like you say, mortality and this horrendous, shocking surprise, but what else do you do? Because it's given you so much purpose and get up out of bed. Mm. Are you at such a young age, you know, you probably didn't see yourself as being sat in an armchair, being poorly, what else would you do with your time? Or did you really feel sick every day and resent going in? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that Part of me wanted to be superhuman and believed that by, you know, putting on my cape and heading off to the office every day, that meant that I would be fine. And so part of the, it was that. Then I didn't really know what I was getting myself into health-wise. You don't know until you're in it. And so I kind of thought, well, I'll just keep going to work until I, I need to make a change if I need to make a change. And then during treatment, oh gosh, I'll never forget, forget this. So what happens in chemotherapy is that the load is cumulative. It gets heavier and it gets harder in terms of how you feel with each time you go for treatment, at least in certain types of chemotherapy. So what I was doing was um, four rounds of something where the load got tougher every time. And I remember I'd I'd had two rounds of this treatment and, and it would make me feel really bad for a few days. And then I'd start to feel a bit better again. And then I'd have the next treatment. And so I think I'd had that treatment twice. And I remember going to my CEO saying, okay, so it it's getting harder. And we're coming into January, which is our quietest month of the year. So I'm going to not come into work for January and then we'll reset in February and see how I'm feeling then. And he was so like, okay, all right, but if you feel better than you think you're going to feel, can you still come in? And I was like, this is mad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because also you're a vulnerable sick woman were you worried about your livelihood as well as your health you know you're a single single woman aren't you you kind of you need to pay a mortgage um well I don't think I ever feared that they wouldn't pay me and the truth is when I did go back to the office in February I felt much better again the second type of treatment wasn't as hard to to carry and it was actually weekly treatment that I did every Friday for 12 consecutive weeks and so I worked in the office Monday to Thursday and then I went to treatment on Fridays can you imagine I mean I'm pretty sure the doctor's <laughs> advice is to lay in bed isn't it not to Look, leave I, digital transformation all, no this is all just 12 years ago so it's not forever ago but at the same time I think it is a really long time ago I don't believe that this would be the approach anymore uh gosh I, I know so many women who've gone through treatment after me who haven't worked through but part of it was me. I've got to take some responsibility. I, I didn't set a boundary around it. And what I did find is whilst there was some good in 
in the going into an office and having some purpose. I still remember sometimes just getting up and putting nice clothes and makeup on. There was something uplifting about doing that. Mm. But I also remember sometimes sitting at my desk feeling like bursting into tears because I felt so depressed and flat and sick. Uh, so there's there was a bit mix of both. And if I had my time again or if I was I was consulting with anybody else going through it, I'd be like, don't you dare work. Oh, my God, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? It is quite interesting what you're doing now and then what you did then because the role of work, you know, seems as though you might have thought life is so much more than work, but at the time your instinct was to work. So if you had your time again, you probably wouldn't go straight into work or... Yeah, and and maybe maybe there's a lot more to unpack around how you stay sane Mm. during something like a health crisis when sometimes you don't feel well enough to work and sometimes you do. So, look, one of the things I did for myself during that time is I wrote a blog about my experience and I showed up for that blog almost every single day. Like that was that was like central to how I dealt with it. Yeah, okay. So communicating and sharing your experience, was that something that you looked forward to, to communicate yes. to someone? Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, just there was some purpose in that as well. Like I was mainly attracting women who were in the, at a similar stage to me and getting a lot of community and, and building connection with those women and and sharing so vulnerably with them was really meaningful for me and I think all of these things add up to a new direction which didn't happen overnight by the way and and like fast forward to when my treatment was finishing up kind of like 10 months later I had a really horrible conversation with not the CEO but who the the man that was the COO at the time So after all of these months of literally working through treatment, getting on, I was, I was flying. I was like flying into Melbourne for meetings and things like that. The CEO asked for some time with me one-on-one and he kind of looked at me and said, well, now that you're kind of at the end of it, I have to ask, do you think you're still up for doing this job? I was like, oh my God. I thought you were going to promote me. Yeah, after (laughs) 10 months of killing myself in many ways, now you're going to question whether I'm capable of doing this work. Uh, That was not not a good conversation for the business or for me. Like it really left me feeling unvalued and Mm. also like wanting to fight back and say, screw you, I'm more capable than I've ever been. And did you? <laughs> well, yeah, I did in, in some ways. I was kind of, I was kind of like I didn't react in the moment. That's kind of inherent leadership skills within me, knowing that I'm only going to be emotional versus considered. So I didn't react. I said, give me some time to think about it, even though on the inside I was seething. And then I kind of decided that they weren't going to cut my legs off career-wise and that I would be better than ever 
but that was a reaction still <laughs> um, because the other side to that was, but I am not working with you anymore. Like I refuse to stay in this role, in this location. And that's what led me to navigating my way to a New York City office. So I didn't go to New York until after breast cancer. And what I ended up doing was connecting in with my regional lead and saying the local business I don't know how supportive they're going to be of this but I want to move overseas and I think I've given this company 11 years already that I would truly value your support in making that happen and that was the beginning of I think only about three or four months between when I had that conversation and when I moved to New York Wow. Was that, was that in the plan? Was that a rash decision or did it give you the catapult that you needed? It was a, it was a moment when I, I think that conversation was good in that it made me realize that I wasn't staying. And it it was a, it was a full wake up call of, okay, I'm leaving this particular job, this head of digital for Australia job. I can't come in here anymore. I'm too frustrated. I've been through too much in this business. So now it's, do I get a job at a different agency? Do I leave the industry and figure out how to make money another way? Or ultimately, do I stay with the company but move roles? And that means moving overseas because I was kind of on the exec leadership team. So there was nowhere to go in Australia. And I had a friend who was also going through breast cancer who'd been in New York when she was diagnosed, who came back to Australia for treatment. And, of course, she was in my ear saying, come to New York. And it was quite funny because when I first approached my regional lead, he was like, well, I can't promise you New York. Our head office isn't New York, it's Chicago. Are you willing to go somewhere else? And I'm like, not really. Mate, you're gonna catch up in New York. No, I need to go to New York <laughs> and only New York. They were like, Look, we'll do our best, and uh, their best was good enough. And what, how was that? The moving over to New York was it as much as your was did it answer your was it everything that your dreams had? Uh, it was one of the best things I've ever done in my entire life. Like, there was so much good, good in it. it it's I'm so grateful that the business did back me to to make that move. I'm also grateful to myself because if I hadn't made the move into digital, I wouldn't have been such a highly, well, it wasn't just that I had a reputation, but I I did because I joined the exec digital team, global. So there was that. But also my skills are in high demand. You know, there wasn't a lot of people with my tenure in the industry and my holistic background across pretty much every department in the agency that also had by then four years in digital. So even the Sydney market must be very different to the New York one. Oh when goodness, you, yeah, because because it was your knowledge. Um, was it greater than the colleagues that you had in the New York office, or did they have a different level of experience? It, look, they were further ahead because of the scale of digital in the US versus Australia. So they were definitely further ahead, and. In terms of tools and resources, there was more sophistication. But 
it wasn't a huge gap by any means. And there was still a lot of migration happening at that time. There's still a lot of resistance from clients. This is going back to 2012. There absolutely was a role for it's like selling digital as a channel when clients were still like, but we just want TV ads. And, and that was true everywhere. Not, you know, not that was an Australian in terms of a nuance. But what actually ended up happening was when they shared my CV with the HR team in the US, that HR team kind of looked at what my credentials were and what I could bring and then shared that CV with a number of leaders within the US market, one of whom made a really quick decision, I want to bring her here. And he was heading up digital in the Chicago office, but he didn't have anyone in New York that could take client meetings at a senior level. So he then rallied the CEO of the US and, you know, it was just a matter of time before that all came together. It is amazing to look back, isn't it? Because when you look at the connections that you made, I'm just seeing 15-year-old Yvette and by this point, maybe 40-odd-year-old Yvette and thinking you always have that skill of being able to spot an opportunity and get there just before someone else, like so much so that you left school. So even... You know, you got that opportunity that people are doing now, getting into digital in a way, and you were doing it 10 years ago. Well, now there's hard, from what I understand, and, you know, I've only been out of the industry for a few years, but in most agencies, there isn't a digital team. It's all integrated. So it's gone, it has gone 360. And that even happened in my time. Like my role as a digital specialist stayed true for a while while I was in New York but then the way that we served service client business shifted and I started to lead client teams that had a a strong digital foundation so I was overseeing uh, Mars Wrigley a lot of that business as well as ESPN and the reason that they put me as the lead on those businesses was because they were more Uh, further along on the digital transformation path and then I came back to Australia in a managing director role which is which was a whole agency role nothing to do with digital specialization and did you miss the digital specialization you after working with such big clients in a way but I was very focused on doing my best in the role as MD and, and, you know, a a large part of my remit in that role was to build a winning culture because the culture had been suffering in that particular agency. So that that was my primary focus by the time I landed in that role. Okay. And then you've got the next thing to, I suppose, another element of your skill set to tap into. Um, Yeah. But But if we can rewind, because I'm quite nosy about the skills, (laughs) the skills that you needed to succeed in your career to that point. So how Mm. would someone who worked with you during that time, how would someone have described Yvette Mayer? Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, gosh. I had a reputation as being a strong leader but not in an old school leadership way, very much in more of the, I was going to use the word Brené Brown, and I'm not saying I'm like Brené Brown, but what I mean by that is super authentic. And I was fortunate enough to have leadership coaching around my early 30s, 
And it transformed the way I showed up from a business perspective, for sure. It was absolutely fundamental. And probably the biggest part of that was, (laughs) it's going to sound funny, but um, what I needed to be was less emotional and care less about work. Because it's from that place of being over-invested and highly emotional and, you know, the tears coming out in the office environment that you become unable to effectively lead and to hold a vision and build stakeholders that are going to help you get there. Mm -hmm. And so that had kind of happened in my early 30s and that was really important to how I showed up from a business perspective. But I was always vulnerable. I was somebody that would get in there and get my hands dirty for the sake of what we were striving towards and there was never any ego or attitude around that so I would say that you know in terms of openness willing to be there until the last person went home and also very honest those are some of the words I I think people would use to describe me well, surprise guest on the line. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> like, yeah, surprise, surprise. We've actually contacted I think I'm pretty yeah. self-aware. I could be wrong. <laughs> and, and well, agencies is working really late hours as well, isn't it? So if you're if you've got your team there until I don't know eight or nine pm, and you go out of there, that culture just breeds. I I recently was reflecting on my career and remembered a team that I worked with, where n- they would check with each other before they left. How much more have you got to do? And if someone said, "I'm going to be here for two hours," they'd sit back down and say no you're not we're going to help you that's brilliant and I remember walking into that team environment thinking that is very unique because they're doing that um you know out of out out of choice really Um, and then from a business yeah and from a business skills point of view um how did you what kind of skills do you need in a career in such a career as yours do do you advise if you want to get into media if you want to spot new opportunities if you want to work Mm -hmm. with clients and very broadly, if you want to be good enough to move abroad, what are the skills that you would recommend Ooh. people hone? Gosh, there's a lot in there. Uh, <laughs> okay, so number one hot tip is embrace digital. <laughs> I think that's true of today. Yeah. Uh, be a problem solver. I, I think go back to basics. Like if you're somebody who is always focused on solutions versus problems, effectively communicate, make sure that you are always keeping the lines of communication open. Be prepared to, I'm not, I don't want to say work hard, but be diligent in terms of follow through and saying, you know, follow through on what you say you're going to do because it's always a team environment and you never want to be the person that just doesn't show up for the team. Be a good human, like actually give a shit about the other people on the team that you're working with. And at the end of the day, have the level of ambition and foresight to kind of see where you want to go and strategically manoeuvre yourself because nobody else cares about your career in the same way that you do. Nobody else is thinking big picture about you. Trust me, they're not. You need to do that for yourself. Self-leadership is absolutely critical. And I guess actually knowing what you're capable of as well. You might know yourself what you're capable more than somebody else is. You yeah. know, probably no one else was going to 
get you at 17 and say we'll get you in this bigger role but you yeah. demonstrated it and then uh, and then pushed forward so I suppose there must be an element of self-belief as well yes and I'm going to be really honest here I don't know if this is something that helped me in my career but I have to believe that it did because it kept working and that is I never saw myself two roles ahead of me I always thought that I'm really good at what I do now. I think I can probably go one more level. And so by being in that mindset, instead of trying to skip ahead and have a look at, oh, my God, I need to figure that out to be able to go there, I was very focused on doing my best at every single role I ever did, pushing towards the next role every time. And I have to think there's something in that. It's like... Mm. If you master your craft in every role you have, you are going to be set up with such a strong foundation of knowledge. And when you come through that way, like I did, like I literally went through every level in the entire agency and every department, you have such a depth of knowledge. Like you can literally step in and say to somebody who's on your team, let me do this with you. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way, but that is my way, and it absolutely worked. I, the, it's very rare that you see someone working somewhere for 17 years. Mm. So I think that demonstrates that you did a, a number of roles, but also that it does work, rather than this yeah. perhaps real yeah. rush to jump to jump right, okay, that's been my two years or 18 months, next one, mm-hmm. next one. Um, but, you know, if that's that was an, an enjoyable pathway and got yeah. you credibly to a place of the executive vice president yeah. in New York, New York, then that's a credible and plausible, effective approach. By the but it only it. happened that way because I initiated every change. Mm-hmm. I was intentional. And so what I what I want to share with you and, and our viewers is that you can make loyalty and longevity really work in your favour because you build so much goodwill. And with that, don't do it because it's comfortable and easy. Leverage that to get exactly where you want to go. Wow, very good. Yeah, so don't, <laughs> So everyone that's been established in their career, don't think, um, oh, well, I'm plodding along, I get a work-life balance because work-life balance is rare these days. Mm-hmm. But actually think, how do I, this is a unique opportunity. That yeah, how do I cash in on all of this goodwill that I've earned? Yeah, so the people that you know, the reputation that you've got, the projects that you've probably got to your name. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody else would have picked me up from Australia moved me, paid to move me and my dog to the other side of the world that I didn't have that level of goodwill with. Yeah, true. Yeah. So you backed yourself, but you also knew that other people would back you. That's excellent. And I've just showed up for that business for a really long time before I said, well, more than once I said, I want this now. <laughs> the, the one the one thing that I would um uh, I mean those pieces of advice by the way are so 
so helpful. I was just looking down at my list and thinking, yes, be prepared. That's something that can so often be forgotten, can't it? But, but mm-hmm. by being prepared, do you mean by for the very next day or the next week? Or do you mean in a more medium to long term way? I think it plays out in all instances. It, it's I would go beyond prepared and say it's more about intention. Like be intentional in the choices you make, the decisions you make. And when you do that, when you check in with yourself and really ask yourself, where is this going and where do I want to be? Operate with intention from there and you can create magic for yourself. That's great. And I suppose that that makes it feel as though so much is possible, doesn't it? Because you think, well, what what is my intention? Yeah. Yeah. And it really is. I mean, even once I got to New York, my intention in New York wasn't to move further along in my career at all. Like I knew that I, (laughs) things went a little bit like off pissed, but my intention was to have a really freaking experience of living in the US to travel loads to take advantage of working for a global business that did fly me around a lot and tack on lots of experiences when I did that, but to also figure out what I wanted to do beyond media because I'd already had that experience of this is all very glamorous, but I don't feel particularly fulfilled in this career, so what's beyond this for me? And I started that journey while I was away as well. So what did that involve Oh, gosh. I didn't find a resolution, but I I started to explore. So whilst I was living in New York, I did health coaching training for a year. So my day job was executive vice president in New York, but I also had a night job, which was studying to be a health coach. And I did that for a full year. It was just part-time, but I was, I was doing that because I was like, I know that I'm really drawn into nutrition and health and wellbeing after having challenges of my own around health. And always, I've always been somebody who kept fit and healthy. So I did that. I didn't have that like, ah, this is what I want to do at all. So after that, I did yoga teacher training I thought, well, maybe it's not health coaching. Maybe I want to be a yoga teacher. And I actually, I much preferred that. But I couldn't see how to like support myself and continue to have the lifetime, you know, at at least a good lifestyle. I don't think I could ever say that I was going to transition into the same lifestyle necessarily. And so I, I still was like, okay, well, I've got skills now. I've got more skills. I'm I'm qualified as a health coach. I'm qualified as a yoga teacher, but I'm still not sure. Uh, And then I got the the headhunting back to Australia to be managing director of a different agency. And I was very honest in that moment with the CEO who was interviewing me for that role. And I said, look, I want out. Like, I I don't want to stay in a media agency. And she said, You've worked for the same group for 17 years. You don't know what it's like beyond the publicist group. And I was like, that's fair. That's fair. And also, if I say yes to you, I get shipped back to Australia in the way that I got shipped to New York. And financially, it makes a lot of sense. 
And by that point, I was having some familial pressure pressure to come home. My mum and dad, neither are in great shape, nor were they five years ago. So I ultimately said yes to that, even though I said yes with a bit of angst, like, is this really what I want? And I and also just been offered to get my green card at that moment. So it was it was a tough decision, but I made the decision to come home. How long and had you been in New York? Five years at that point. Wow. So it must have felt like yeah. home, home, did it? Yeah, it still does in some ways. It still feels like my home from home. And I haven't been, well, it's only been two and a half years I haven't been back for. I'm sure I'll go again soon. Um, but it does. It still feels very familiar to me. It, uh, you know, I, I can't help myself but watch every TV show and movie that's set in New York and, you know, get my little fix and I have lots of friends over there. And, yeah, I'll definitely, definitely always feel like it's my second home. So getting on that flight to come back to Sydney, did you feel as though you were giving a lot of things up? Was it difficult? Uh-huh. I was in the middle of gardening leave. And so I was actually really enjoying being paid to travel at that point. I'd been to the Galapagos Islands. I'd been to Machu Picchu. And my next stop was India for a month. <laughs> gardening leave sounds the bomb. We're getting so oh many. Oh, my God, it's the best. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And then on, I remember the last week that I was in India, sort of sitting on a beach trying to get my head back into right, this is a big job, like, let's go. Right, and, and then thinking, can I get myself back into that mindset? And did you? Well, what, how was it getting back? Oh, look, I, I'm a high achiever by nature, so my biggest ambition at that point was let's go for it. Let's, you know, this was an agency that I'd always regarded as the one agency that I'd most like to work for reputation as the biggest and best in like the it was the Sydney office of the biggest agency in Australia a media agency and I did think this will be my last role in an agency but let's go out on a high and let's go out having you know little old me from dropping out of high school through to running a 300 person office let's do that and so I, I went into that role with a high ambition to do a really good job. And was it good to return to it? Because that does make a lot of sense, doesn't it? To really round off your career in this way. Here's where it started, here's where it ends. How was that? How how long were you there actually? I was there just on two years. And to be honest, it wasn't a great experience. It It was very small market problems compared to coming from New York and the US in general. And so the difference, if I can explain, is that in the US, everything is scaled. So every role is quite, not siloed, that's not the right word, but your roles are very specific. In Australia, everybody does everything because the resources are very tight. And and this isn't an Australian problem. This is because from a global perspective, working for a multinational, most mandate the same margin goals, regardless of what market you're in. And then when you get into a market like Australia, where the cost of living is high, the cost of research is high, everything is freaking tough. 
that making the margin that's set from that global perspective is near on impossible. So you're constantly under pressure. Everybody's overworking. Everybody's doing multiple hats. And I'd come from five years of not that. And so I found that transition really freaking hard. I found it like, oh, my God, this is why I wanted to leave, whereas I had this five years of magic. And, yeah, like it wasn't just that. There was some dynamics going on in the role that my last role in the agency world where I was like, I can't, I just can't anymore. This is not for me. Like, yay, it was a good thing because it brought me to my edge. It brought me to, right, this is done. This is done now. I'm out. (laughs) Yeah, and you probably had your yeah. Well, you probably had your high, haven't you? Once you've done your New York role, that maybe yeah. was. Yeah. I, I, I I peaked. It's hard to peak as as high as that. So, how did you leave, and what did you decide to go and do afterwards? Had you already decided that when you no. left? No, I knew I had developed lots of skills and that they would be transferable, but I didn't really know how. I got involved with doTERRA, which is an essential oils network marketing business, and I was doing that on the side thinking, okay, I can see how I can make enough money selling these oils. And ultimately that didn't unfold as the way that I've thrived as an entrepreneur, but it was a very good segue, if you like, like finding something that aligned with me that played to my strengths around health and well-being. Uh, my natural love of business it was it all felt like okay I can do this and then I knew it was coming for a while so I made sure that I had a really strong financial runway so that I could kind of figure it out as I went I still remember my CEO saying so do you have a business plan and I was like no Yeah, yeah, it's on the back of my hand. Definitely don't have that. And, you know, that that took a while. Like it was a great thing to go through from a I can afford not to work for six to 12 months really, but let's go. Like let's figure out what I can do to leverage my skills in the entrepreneur space. Didn't happen overnight. I kind of focused all my eggs in the network marketing business for a few months realized that whilst that was growing, it was growing so slowly that it would never cover my bills. And so at that point, I'm like, right, what else have I got to work with here? Like what am I, what what are other transferable skills that are on passion will take me to the next step? I'd already discovered by then that what I'd felt I was leaving was an environment where I felt very stuck and drained and like, like I said, unfulfilled. And so what I wanted to do was feel lit up and liberated, which has become a big part of my brand. And so I'm like, I just want to feel lit up every day. I want to do work that I'm like, yay, I'm so excited that I get to do this. And I do want to feel liberated as well, like not stuck in one place or in a a nine to five box. Like I, I just was like, get me out of all that. I want on my terms, I want to make a positive impact and I want to freaking love what I do. So that I knew that. And then from there, after like four or five months of playing network marketing, I decided that I'd position myself as a well-being expert to consult into corporate businesses around well-being strategies and focus on uh, 
businesses where I already had a relationship. So I set myself up on LinkedIn and I built my personal brand. I didn't build it. My personal brand was already strong and I kind of like hopped into a new field, leveraging my personal brand that was already strong. And I got a lot of leads really quickly. The challenge I had was a lot of companies at that point were like, we want this, we want wellbeing, come on in, come meet the CEO, do this, do that. And then when it came to actually paying for it, they'd be like, yeah, we don't have the budget. So actually, thank you. What we're going to do is put somebody already in the business who's passionate about this into like leading a committee. And that happened a few times. But at the same time, I started gaining more traction around getting people directly contacting me, asking me if I'd coach them. And so I kind of accidentally became a coach. And I realised at that point that, oh, coaching is a real thing. It's not like a hobby. And people came to me for health coaching, but it wasn't just that. Because of my personal brand, I instantly attracted mostly people who'd either met me in a meeting or actually worked for me into my world and they wanted me to coach them, whether it was life coaching, career coaching, helping them start a new business coaching, like any type of coaching. I'm like, I'm just here to make this work. So I will coach you. And that was the beginnings of what has now become a business focused on business coaching, kind of went through the motions of I will coach you on anything and then over time, as I began to become more savvy around how do I scale my business online, how do I make sure I'm doing what I really love to do, I figured out within about eight months that the thing I love most is helping other women like me discover more of their purpose and passion and build online businesses. And that brought me right to, okay, now I get to leverage all of my business acumen, my marketing skills, my digital marketing background in service of others. And it freaking lights me up every single day. Wow. So you're, you're lit and liberated and you've gone and made lots of other people uh, yes. lit, up and, lit up and liberated. Yeah. So how long have you been doing that? This specifically, it has been over two years since I've been business coaching and it's been over three years since I started coaching. Wow. And what's been the like highlights? And has there been some scary bits? Because has there ever yeah. been someone with a coaching problem that you've struggled to work through? Oh, that's such a cool question. That's really interesting. And it, and I wouldn't say there's anyone that stands out as a client who I've been like, I can't help you. I will say the toughest clients tend to want to kind of outsource their challenges when ultimately as a coach we're here to guide and shine a light on somebody's potential that's already within them and to help them, you know, reconnect with their own brilliance. And so if somebody doesn't believe in themselves and doesn't realise that without kind of coming home to themselves first, the other things won't work, that can be quite challenging. And especially like the more I've gone in the direction of business coaching, you think business coaching means marketing and strategy, but it also means huge personal development because having a, a business, and I know you might be curious to do this one day more full time, building a business means you're going to meet your edge over and over again. You're going to have 
people saying no to you. You're going to have months when you are freaking out that you're not going to be able to pay your mortgage, for instance. You're going to have times when you just think you're shit and you're like, I'm not any good at this anyway. Why would someone pay me? It all comes up. It's totally out of comfort zone stuff. It's a ride. Yes. It sounds like counselling as well as business because I suppose someone can come to you with a, with a, a digital problem, an online problem, and you can use your experience and advise something. So I'm imagining there is that. There's your yeah, absolutely. Yes. Technical and business side and experience. Yeah. And then this other side that's so unpredictable, is it? So is that an mm-hmm. element of psychology that you work Well, with? it's... I w- it's more coaching skills. So thankfully I've studied coaching and I've done a lot more studying and training in the last few years. Like I've literally spent more than $100,000 on my own development in the last three years. And that has meant, you know, transformational coaching programs, deep dives into how to build digital products. I, I Like it's extensive. I could go on and on and on. I've been in a high-level mastermind for nearly three years now, which is on its own, like a multiple five-figure investment every time. Um, And so my acumen around online business and what it takes to make that work has been fully developed. But what's also happened on my journey is I've got more and more experience of helping people elevate into their higher potential, and that's really coach coaching skills. And how rewarding is it? What what, what what are you taking people from and to? Yeah, like I've literally have, I have clients who've come to me that were not making a dollar who have multiple six-figure businesses. Like it's that extent. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Yeah. How yeah. do you not want to jump out of being a coach to being a shareholder in their business or doing that? <laughs> <laughs> or I suppose... Never thought about that, but no, it's it's interesting. I I have considered clients who kind of, and I've got one at the moment, who kind of present with so much experience and so much potential that don't have money. And I am working with somebody at the moment who there's a little bit of a more of an agreement around. I will help you as much as possible to get to a point where you can afford to pay me. Mm. and we'll just figure it out as we go mm. actually I watched a brilliant YouTube video the lawyer Laura Laura Wasser Wasser I think I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard of her mm-hmm. um, and she was talking about running her own uh, uh, law firm and saying sometimes they don't have the money and sometimes it is worth giving them a discount because that goodwill will take you further when you've helped yeah. them buy their house or help this investment and then a few years down the line they get divorced and then they choose you to be their divorce lawyer so <laughs> well look this one client that I have at the moment has basically said to me I see myself on a stage talking about you and and the huge impact you've had on my life and business well okay that's well <laughs> <laughs> Someone's coached them with some really persuasive skills, well, haven't they? Yeah. It's a very seasoned person. Mm. How invaluable, though, that what you are giving to these, to all of your clients, are really invaluable advice, isn't it? So mm-hmm. I, I'm imagining is there an element of a personal, are you invested personally in their success? Oh it's so hard. Mm. It's like that's one of the hardest things is, is business feels really personal when you do what I do because you become so invested. And and many of my clients have been with me for years, like two to three years. Uh, And 
like they become friends. And then if they decide to work with a different coach, it's like, I can't deal, but I can deal, but it's, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah, I suppose that comes with a lot of word of mouth, though, doesn't it? That you you must have so many testimonials. And I'm really interested, yeah, in so many of these case studies now as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and you referenced earlier, not to get all of your top tips in this call, <laughs> but, but you talked about the strength of your personal brand. And mm-hmm. I wondered if that was something that you'd consciously worked on when you were in your last career, or it was yeah. when you stepped out of your career that you realized, actually, Yvette Mayer is a brand and it's own right. Yeah, great question. And it's a bit of both. I did, I definitely, when I was still in my corporate career, had one eye on what am I doing next? And so whilst I was the managing director of the agency, I also spearheaded the wellbeing team. And I therefore was getting a lot of on-the-job experience in that space. And I was talking about that to not peers, but beyond our agency. And it got to the point where I was being asked to come and talk at other businesses about wellbeing. So Network 9 had me in, Spotify had me in. Like I was already building up my credentials as a speaker at some of the biggest media publishers in town. I didn't know that I was going to do anything with that necessarily, but I I have this innate sense of strategy, don't I, where I start behaving in a way before I get there. That was smart. Was this after you'd done your your health and yoga, health and wellness course? Okay, so Australia. Okay, so you so you had these qualifications, which at the time was to scratch your own itch. Yeah, it's self discovery, really. And then you brought it and then you decided to bring it to other businesses and share that and become a speaker. Yeah. And it became a business, but only after. I wasn't doing- being paid to do that. I was just right. doing it because it felt good and it was really aligned with my passion. And then, of course, once I moved into my own business, they became examples of places that I've spoken at. And they just so happen to be the world's biggest brands. So that's Yeah, handy. so there you go. <laughs> so that's handy, isn't it? <laughs> So thank you so much for sharing just so much story, so much of your story and the wisdom throughout it as well. Um, I obviously want to know about your health now. Um, Mm -hmm. How uh, uh, health is great. I am 12 years on since the breast cancer diagnosis. I have been told that I was overtreated, so I don't even check in anymore. It's like, I think my risk is, pretty similar to the rest of the population that I get cancer again um so you know I'm 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 great I'm fine and you yeah I mean you can just tell you're beaming like I'm so energized from talking to you and just thinking when can I book a weekend to Byron because yes I know where I know where you are and they can just teach hunt me down (laughs) go out go out for dinner Um, Thank you so much. I suppose I might just end with one more question. And because it's five and 14, it's based around personally for me turning 40 and thinking, what am I going to do in this decade? I want to make it count. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, where would you like to be 10 years from now? Wow. Well, you know, I'm in my 50s, so that's a little bit scary for me. Wow. Did not know that. I'm 51. But I will say that my 40s were full of fire. I mean, I literally spent five years of them in New York City. 
I traveled extensively. I was in great shape. I did uh, two half Ironman races. I did a lot of running and triathlons short distance. I did the New York City Marathon. Oh my gosh, there's no stopping you. This is really putting <laughs> putting me to shame. I mean, I've got nine and a half years to train, I suppose. You did the New York Marathon. It's so I difficult did. to get into, isn't it? Let alone well, actually I, I, I um because I was living there, I uh, I raised money for the I actually raised money for Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. So I made it kind of like aligned again to supporting charity that felt close to home for me and yeah got and in how, that and how was it was it the most painful thing ever uh, I loved it I that the reason it was painful was purely because I got an injury beforehand which I ignored and ran on top of but I did really well make the most of Byron and yeah. uh, your time there and thank you so much because you've inspired me and you're going to inspire so many other people uh, so you're welcome yeah, I'm sure um, we're going to be getting lots of business coaching. Possibly I'll be sliding into your DMs. <laughs> Anytime. 